Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Trades Talk. I'm here with my co-host, Maggie, and today we are interviewing Niwar Nassim of Nassim Landscapings out of Washington. Maggie, what were some of your big takeaways from today's episode? Yeah, so Niwar is one of my favorite people to talk to. Every single time I talk to him, it's just like a smile on my face. There's goosebumps at multiple points. And so I think the biggest takeaways are Niwar's story, the idea of understanding your opportunity, and just knowing where you came from. And I think that our listeners are really going to love hearing about his growth and, you know, the struggles along the way. He really becomes vulnerable and tells us about the struggles he faced. But um, ultimately, his story is just one of a kind, really humbles you. How about you, Justin? Yeah, I, I think the perspective that Newar gives us in terms of what he and his family went through coming to this country, the challenges of growth, and the continuous progress that he made, no matter what happened in his life, every year he just kept making moves and, and making progress. I feel the story is very humbling while also being very relatable. And they were a very small landscape company for a very long time. And just in the last five years, did they crest the 1 million mark? And then now they're, they're knocking on the door of eight figures. It's just an incredible story. And one that's going to, I think, be captivating from start to finish. Yeah, it's. I think that some pivotal things too. Some he's hit some milestones that are really crucial for owners to go through. So he just opened up his a new branch. He talks about that. He talks about where they're going and their vision for the future and how that shifted. Because um, you know where they were five years ago, the vision for the future was nowhere near what it looks like today. And I think that. I'm so excited to see something, to see what Nassim Landscape's going to do in the next three, five, 10 years, because they're going to continue to become a, a bigger and bigger name in the industry. So ready to dive in? Yeah, let's, let's go and talk to Niwa. All right. We'd love to welcome Niwar to the podcast today. Um, Niwar, you know, you and I go way back to what, 2020, 2019, when we, we met yep. during um, the Aspire onboarding process. But Hell, why don't you tell our listeners a little about, about yourself and your and your company? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Maggie and uh, Justin. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we, we you're right. Uh, it was October, I want to say, or no, a little bit earlier, August of 2019 um, is when we originally started talking. That was right on the verge of when we were exploring Aspire. But uh a little bit about myself, um, owner and operator, I'd say owner president of Nassim Landscape. Uh, we've been around since 1997, second generation owner of the company. Um, that took over the helm of my um, my father in 2010. So really have ran the company since 2010. Yeah, so 20, well, actually almost 24, almost 14 years now. I can't believe it. A little bit about myself. Uh, came here from North Iraq, Kurdistan. So I'm Kurdish, um, my, my background. And we fled um, Saddam Hussein, actually the regime in, in the mid nineties. Um, so that was pretty crazy. And my family and hundreds of other families, um, we were part of this um, asylum operation that, that happened. And we'll get too much into that, but we were very, very blessed and fortunate to essentially have a free ride to the United States. And so uh, 
I remember that we spent three months in the Guam Islands um, before we came to the States. And that was when they processed everybody and, you know, made sure there was no bad apples in the mix and all that. And then from there, they, they asked us, where, where do you guys want to move to? And, and I remember my, my father selected uh, the Northwest Washington State specifically because uh, I think he, the four season aspect was appealing to him. And there were some other families that had selected uh, the area. And so that's kind of how we ended up in this place. And then he had some agricultural background. Um, so the landscaping uh, was, was, it made sense for him to, you know, low barrier to start, you know, a truck and a mower, you can start making money, right? That's how that started. And I'll tell you a story because um, it kind of really um, helps uh, shape sort of how my work ethic came from. And I remember coming in, um, you know, typically with, most uh, people that come in as refugees or we were as refugees, immigrants um, in the beginning, um, there's a lot of sort of uh, um, state aid type programs to just to help people kind of get acclimated and to get going. And I remember we got back when food stamps were actually the book, the book, I don't know if you guys ever saw them or not. We, we got those. And I remember my father um, got a book uh, of book stamps and, uh, you know, Early on, we're talking a month into it, and we actually were sponsored by a church, and we lived inside this church for a month. Shortly after that, we moved into an apartment, eight people in the family, so it was really tough in a three-bedroom apartment, super tough. Yeah, and I remember my my dad take, it was like we were having dinner, and I have vivid memories of this, it was a long time ago, but my dad took the book of book stamps, and him and my mom were, there, there was some tension at the dinner table. I don't know what it was, but it was, there was tension. We all felt it. And he took the book of book stamps and he literally tore it in front of us. And it was like, what the hell is he doing? Right. It, he's lost it. And and my mom just started yelling and like, what, what's going on? And I just remember my dad making a point, like, we're, we're not, we're not here to live and just like live off the government basically. It was like sort of his way, like, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to make my point here. And, and him and my mom, like it, it was, it was, it was a, it was an altercation, you know? And um, so his point was, we're going to, we're going to roll our sleeves up. We're all going to work. Like you guys aren't just going to come here. We were kids, mind you, like I was 10 and, you know, we're going to work, we're going to work for our living. And so it, it was, it was crazy. And so right after that, uh, the lawn care business was born and and it was uh, my dad literally in his, and then back, back in my home country, he was actually a veterinarian with some agricultural business. So when he came here, he didn't want to take the time to, um, you know, reestablish his veterinary license just because the education and all that stuff that go behind it. So he just stuck to the landscaping made more sense. Yeah. So it was long care. It was, we were all going to school after school. We were helping dad mow lawns, pull weeds, like it. So growing up, I never had, I never had, you know, I didn't know what it was like to, you know, hang out after school, ride bicycles. And I didn't have summer camping. I mean, it was like, you go help your dad. Weekends, didn't know what a weekend was. We just worked, work, work, work is all we knew. It was kind of a sad, honestly, uh, uh, you know, growing up just because there was so, I mean, coming from a, almost a third world country, like I did, to a place that there's so much to do. There's parks, there's video games, there's all this to do. And we were like, nope, you're going to work, work, work. So it really helped kind of shape my um, um, work ethic. Um, so you are, as you're going through that as a child, I mean, 
were you thinking one day I want to take over this business or were you like, let me get through this so I can go off when I'm 18 and, and go, go start my own life. I mean, what, what was going through your mind as a teenager uh, during this time? Yeah, uh, I did not. I'll be honest with you. Um, because my dad was, he's, he was, he was always very tough. You know, he was like a very tough guy. He was never took it easy on us. And so I, I certainly didn't have that type of um, mindset that one day I'm going to take over this or it's going to be my, it was always my dad's dream. He wanted that family, you know, thing and become like a big empire type thing. And it was very possible, but just wasn't in the cards and it wasn't meant to be. Um, to be honest, for me personally, I, I, I thought the suit and tie thing was like this, what, what success was. Right. I, 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 right thought of myself like I'm going to be an executive somewhere and it was going to be cool. And, you know, so that, that was at, during that process, that, that, that was all what I ever thought about. And so what was the turning point? When did you decide, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go after this and I'm going to make this my career. Yeah. You know, was that directly after high school? Did you go to college? How did that yeah. come to be? Yeah. So in high school, so I, like for like eight years, all we ever did was work, work, weekends, work. So I kind of got tired, right? Almost like, I don't want to say it was resentment, but I wanted to try something different. Like, man, I want to experience life. And so in high school, I got into sports. I got into actually cross country and track, got pretty good at it and became like one of the top runners in, in the state. And so I was able to get a, a athletic scholarship to a smaller division two school, I wasn't like nationally type good, but you know, in a state I was pretty solid. And so I started, I mean, I pursued that because it was just like, it gave me freedom and allowed me to be part of a team. And um, I, I went off, I left and, and the, the college was only half an hour, believe it or not, from, from where we live, but it was just far enough where I could go live on a dorm. I wanted to experience that life. So I left but I left on not such great terms with my dad and, and we kind of grew apart and that was a really rough deal for me. Um, and so for two years, actually my dad and I didn't speak and that really took a huge toll on me. And, but I was having a great time in school and living the dorm life and, you know, being a good student and enjoying athletics, but I was missing back home. I was missing my dad. And so I made a right. call to say, you know what, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to kind of re re uh, What's that word? <laughs> yeah. Rekindle the relationship. Thank and, you. Yep, yeah, exactly. And that that's essentially, and so I, I, I left my team. Um, it was a very tough decision. I left all that behind. And that was right around when the, the recession, if you remember 2007 ish or so. And yeah. my, my dad's business, essentially you guys, what it was, was he had 90% of his portfolio and, you know, exit one basket type thing going. If you, if you, you know what you've heard of kinder care learning center, the uh, national daycare chain, that was his business. That was essentially all that they did in the Puget sound area of Western Washington. And so when, when we lost that contract, the, the company was almost upside down. So all that was happening while I was away. So when I came back, there was rumors that, kinder care was going to essentially kick out all the little guys like us out. And at that time it was Brickman was moving to the West coast. The Valley crest thing was kind of happening. If you recall. Yep. Um, and then the year after that, we got lettered that 
we were just actually the contract was going to go away. When that happened, the company was almost out of business. Um, I transferred back to a, the University of Washington, go Huskies um, <laughs> at the time. And uh, so, um, and um, I finished my, my school there. So when I got out of school, post-recession, no jobs, nobody's hiring a kid out of college with a bachelor's degree. You know, the only thing that was available really was like retail, if you were lucky, or just minimal. Like it, it was just, it was a really slow coming out of that recession. And so I went and worked that, I kind of pursued that sort of, re, um, um, the, the, the sort of retail management uh, thing. I did that for about seven months, realized I hated it. And that was when I realized, damn, I, I really like working outside. I think working, it was Target actually. What I realized, like, I don't enjoy going inside the store at like six in the morning. And then Northwest, you know, days are short in wintertime, especially. Yeah. I'd go in dark, come out dark. I'm like, dude, there's like no, like crazy. So all while I was working at Target for the seven months I was there, I was doing like side hustle, like like doing side projects and landscaping. And I was doing like, it's like weekend warrior type stuff. Like, cause kinder care was still funneling me like backyard or uh, like landscape renovation projects. So I would do like 20, $30,000 jobs in two days. And I'd bring like a super crew in with me and we just go crazy. And, and it was awesome. Like we were like no overhead. It was just like, we did that for like almost, damn, almost like a year. And I realized right there, Justin, that that was it. I, I enjoyed equipment, dirt, plants, being outside and just a freedom. And mm -hmm. so that was my calling, right? There. I knew it. I was able to reflect back on all those years of growing up. And then I realized I have an opportunity here. I'm, you know, I'm in my early mid twenties, got nothing to lose. You know, I don't like retail. I, I've got this experience. I've got two trucks here, a couple of trailers. My dad has no energy to build this up. My siblings don't want to do anything to do with the business. Hey dad, um, I'd like to do this. Um, you know, let, let's work out a deal. And so we did. We 2009-10, father hands, you know, son handshake deal. And that's when it started. So, okay, yeah. So you're taking it over, you guys. I, I'm imagining 10, 15 employees. How many employees did you guys have at this point when you were a handshake deal taking the business over from your dad? No, it, it was just myself and a part-time employee that worked for my dad back when we had the kinder care. We, wow. we were doing, when, when I took over, it was, I remember just a little over $60,000 in revenue that first year. Wow. Wow. So, so you guys are really at the beginning. <laughs> there was no company. It was literally myself and, and this guy that was again, part-time guy that I, I, I just had come, come with me. So we, we could get through a route. I mean, it was like starting all over again. The most my dad ever did as a company was like just under $500,000. So it was a lot of money, but he he managed it so incredibly well where that, I mean, he was able to buy real estate and do, because it was like almost a 10 year span that he did that for. And it did incredibly well. When I took it over, because we'd lost everything, it was like almost $60,000. I remember that. And it was, it was yeah. rough going, man, because you know, there's all the stuff that you want to do, but it's like, nope, you got to roll your sleeves up, man. And so it was, it was super difficult in the very beginning, but it was no employees, just a part-time guy. And it was going out there and finding people that would give you a chance. I mean, it was like that. Yeah. So, so. what, what was your plan at that point? Was it just to work in the bit? Like 
in the business? Did you know you wanted to, you knew you wanted to grow it because you said, okay, this is my opportunity. Yeah. So what Yeah. plan did you put in place? What steps did you, did you take to then get to your next aha milestone? Yeah. I remember, you know, when I was finishing up my undergrad, we, we would get the lawn and landscape and um, landscape manage all the, all the trade journals. And I, I remember at that time, see, Justin asked me earlier about when did you know, I think it was always there. I just didn't, I, I didn't have that moment when I, when I realized I didn't want to be in a box all day, but I was reading trade journals the whole, I was always interested in the industry. And I remember vividly reading magazines and reading about guys and I forget which companies exactly, but they're still around today. I, I don't remember back then, but it was around a recession time because that was a big deal, right? For the whole world. And I, I, I remember reading about, companies that had sort of made it or were making it through that recession and what their secret was. And, and, and it was, it was guys that were doing maintenance. And, and I remember reading about a lot of companies that were hundred percent, you know, um, design bill and they had just tanked or just didn't make it. And I remember picking up huge lessons that if I ever do this myself, that I would always embrace maintenance. And most importantly, not make the same errors that my dad did, right? Diversify, not have all my eggs in one basket. So to your question, what was my plan? Well, I, I had to start all, like from the, as if like I was starting up a new company. I, the only thing that I had was a name that was kind of, you know, people knew in, in the neighborhood, I suppose, in the local community and a couple of trucks. So that's, that's still better than somebody that's starting out with a loan, let's say, for example. So I, I still felt like I had a somewhat of a heads up than most people. But when I started, I made a commitment that I, like, I am in and all in. There's no, there's no ifs or buts. I am all in. And so for me, it was about learning and, and professionalism. How do I, how do I learn to do this and, and learn as much as I can, as fast as I can, And, and so I'm reading everything under the sun. I, I met I, at the Lawn and Landscape Conference. Um, if you saw my, uh, I think it was um, Ed LaFlam, he posted this video and, and he was interviewing me. Um, I read his book. It was called Green Side Up. I remember in 2010 when, my, when I was able to take over, I, I picked up his book and I just remember, and I'm not a reader. I'm, starting to get more and more into it. But I remember picking that book up and I just could not put it down because it was almost like, like a step-by-step -step on what to do and how to grow a landscaping company essentially. And, and I, I told Ed that actually just a few months ago and he, he got a big chuckle out of that, but that book was like big. It was like my sort of Bible. It was like, this is it stick to this game plan and, and you're going to make it one day, whatever that make it meant. And so I just, that was huge for me because it was a big motivating thing. And then from there, it was just literally, it was, you guys just want, so at that time I didn't have any commercial stuff. I had to prove myself. It was all about just put, make it, making a name out of, out of yourself. And so it was one house after another. And I, I'm the guy that's out there pulling the weeds. I'm the guy that's making the dump runs, getting off early while my guy finishes the day. So I could go do a couple of estimates, that type of thing. I mean, For the first two to three years, that is all I did. With that, we're adding a couple of employees here and there, building up a route. Now I've got a couple of decent crew, 
you know, foreman, I'm able to now start dabbling into some projects where I'm like essentially the project manager, I'm the estimator, I'm the foreman, I'm, I'm all that, right? It just what you always hear about people that are building up, I was doing all that. And so for the first three to five years, that was the story of my life. And then I realized when we started doing, you know, getting close to $500,000 in revenue, I needed a system. So started dabbling into some things, finally settled with LMN. I think it was 2016, was on LMN for a couple of years. And it stopped me if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but this is kind of where the growth starts happening. So 2016, how much revenue were you guys doing when you decided to bring on that software? Yeah. So I think we were just around 500,000, maybe slightly less. I knew that I, I knew we were going to grow and I knew we were, it was, it was not a, we were going to grow. So I, I wanted to put something in place early on that was going to help me grow with it. Cause I, all I was using is just, you know, creating estimates out of QuickBooks. And I, I knew that wasn't like the, the, the thing to do. Um, and so got on board with LMN, um, 2016 and that that sort of helped us to a degree um sort of to get from that five hundred thousand dollar mark to about a million ish a little bit uh i think the most we ever did while being on lmn was 1.2 mil i think what you said there's a comment you made there that i think a lot of mm -hmm. business owners will resonate with but some are struggling with and that's mm -hmm. I knew QuickBooks doing estimates out of QuickBooks wasn't the answer. And so yeah. in my mind, I know that, you know that, but how did you come to that conclusion? Like, what were you hearing? What was, what was the deciding factor that that was not the route? For sure. Well, you know, QuickBooks is, uh, is an accounting software, right? It allows you to estimate out of it, but it, it didn't have the scheduling. It didn't have you know, all the functionalities that many of these uh, softwares in, in our industry offer, especially to, today. So I was looking for more. I was looking for, you know, um, job costing. I was looking for routing, you know, in you can full do control. Yeah. yeah. Full control. Exactly. Even though I wasn't, again, big enough, I, I, I had aspirations that I was going to become at yeah. least a million dollar company. And at the time I was like, man, making a million dollars like that, that's it. Like if I hit a million dollars, we made it right. You know? And so I, I knew that QuickBooks just wasn't it because it was so limited and that's not what it is. It's an accounting software. It's not a business management software. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are going in at 1.2 mil 2017. Yeah. It sounds like 2018. I, I know you're a yeah. lot bigger today. Yeah. So, you know, over the last five, six years, how did you guys go from where you were at 1 million to where you guys are today? Maybe you can share a little bit about where you are today as a company yeah. in terms of revenue and employee size, if you don't mind. So our sure. listeners can put a picture to it. Yeah, absolutely. So 2018, 2019 is when our revenue started kind of slowing down. So 2017, 18, 19, we were like one mil, then like 1.1, 1.2. That might be respectable growth for a lot of people, maybe. For me, I felt like it was starting to slow down. It was it was too stagnant for me. And I, I couldn't get out of my way. Um, and I, I realized that the problem was really me. And I was just, I, I was still the, the solo operator guy 
responsible for everything. And we had just enough maintenance at that time where I was ready to bring somebody else on so I could focus on the project side of the business. I did that by bringing somebody on from uh, a larger um, landscape company and, and he had brought a lot of experience with him. When, we, when I was able to convince him to come on board with me in 2019, the very next year, we more than doubled the size of the company just simply from essentially allowing him to run maintenance for me while I focused on projects. So we went from 1.2 to 2.6 in 2020. So when, when, wow. when that happened, I'm like, aha, I got to figure it out. It's people, right? It's, I just got to delegate that that's it. We're going to, we're just now, you know, we're going to keep going. And, and we did. Um, I started, uh, and we were, and we're still growing. We're humming 2020, 2021. We went from 2.6 to 4.8 in 2020. Um, yeah, 2021. So that was another more than double year, right? So it's like, dang, what's what's going on? Like we're starting to get some attention, buying trucks, equipment. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I skipped the Aspire part, I believe. Yeah, because 2019 <laughs> is, it was actually shortly after I brought on my first, really I would call serious, um, I, I gave him the title of operations manager. I'm not sure if that was the right title to give, give it to that guy. But it was essentially somebody that was going to run our maintenance operations. It was, we were on LMN at that time. And then I realized if we're going to scale like the way we want to. And, and the, the company that he had come from was actually Landcare. So they were an Aspire company, right? And so he recommended like, we, we, you should look into Aspire. Like that, that company is legit. My brother actually, prior to bringing him on, also um, my oldest brother actually was also at Landcare for a brief stint and he talked great about Aspire, but he's like, eh, you're, you're probably not big enough. And we dabbled into it. The pricing at that time was just pretty crazy for me. So that was the drum element time. And, and so I, I previously had looked into Aspire, but I, we were too small, well under a million, not ready for it. So when I brought that one guy on from Landcare and he talked about Aspire, I was like, I, there was just a gut feeling like, maybe right now is a time. And that's actually when I reached out to Maggie at Aspire um, when we got connected um, when, when she was in her role at that time. And, and we, we decided to go for it. It was, yeah, it was late 2020. And we, we decided to go live in the beginning of 2021. And so, yeah. So from, from 2020, 2.6 million to 4.8, literally the following year, first year on Aspire, we doubled more than doubled again. Uh, and again, not to get ahead of myself, 2021, 4.8 to 2022, we went to, uh, yeah, we did a 7.6 mil in 2022. And then wow. we just quick growth. quick, quick growth. Yeah. And so all that time you're growing, you know, you're adding the trucks, the people you're, you're just, you're adding and you're just, you're bursting at all the same. And we're doing this, profitably. Um, I say that because, you know, right when I joined Aspire, um, they connected me with uh, the Herring Group. So like you, Justin, I, you know, we, yep. we used the Herring Group um, for a fractional CFO. And so they were able to really help us kind of dig into our numbers, really figure out how to 
get us set up right initially before we got too deep into Aspire. So really had understood my numbers and, and put us in a, in, a, in a good position. And we, we've been doing this, all this crazy growth that we've had, we've done it, you know, with, uh, you know, our, our net margins and in, in, in the, in the teens, which is, you know, for our industry, that's pretty, pretty great. Um, yes. Really that's good. Been, really that's good. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So super, super fortunate. Now there's been mistakes like you can imagine throughout that time, but yeah, we just finished up 2023, uh, sh just short of 10 million. Um, so we're we're knocking on 10 million. We're we're right in that. Um, but we've got some pretty big goals for 2024. Um, hoping just just north of 12 mil is kind of what we're budgeted for. Um, as far as employees. Right now we're just under 80, but in season, you know, we'll be well over 80 probably if, I mean, especially with the numbers that we're hoping to achieve, we'll, we'll be close to hundred, hundred employees this year. We, we think. Wow. I was actually, awesome. if I had to, to guess you are, we, I was trying to put a estimate on how many employees you'd have. I thought I was think, thinking right around the 120 mark. So the fact that you're doing that revenue with less right around 80, it's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it's been efficiency. That's the name of the game. And I, I honestly, not to sound like an aspired poster child here, because that's Justin's job. I mean, you can, you can do that all you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but honestly, after installing, installing that system, um, I mean, you talk about efficiencies and doing more with less. You guys, we, 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 we've been able to do all this with just one person in the back end as far as administratively so we only we have one branch administrator we that i mean and she's phenomenal and I'll, i will always talk for her but you pair someone that's incredible like that with a system like aspire i mean it, you can you can be pretty special you can do a, knock out a lot of overhead now that's not a sustainable model i'm not saying that's that's what people should do you, you gotta be able to have additional support and we're certainly in the process of that um i think we're a bit lean as a matter of fact um but yes, we, we, we certainly do a high number of volume, do it profitably with less. And I, I know several peers that um, frankly have way more employees than us and we're probably doing three more million dollars in revenue than they are, which I just, I don't get it. I don't, I just, it's, it's, yeah. Annoying. Well, I think it goes to the efficiencies because, you know, have that few of employees and doing that revenue, you have to be good every day and every minute of every day. So Absolutely you know, hats off to you for making that happen and, and doing that profitably. What were, when we, when we look back, let's just look back at the last five years where you've gone from basically, you know, in, in 2019 at 1.2 to last year at, at just shy of 10 million, basically 10 X your company in five years. Um, I, I did something similar with my company from 2015 to 2020 and it was a, it was a heck of a ride. So when you look back, what were the top three things that you, you would say, helped you grow and helped you grow profitably? Like what did you do as a CEO owner that helped to get you from, from one to 10 million? Because that is a heck of a leap. Yeah. I appreciate that question. And I, I'm certainly familiar with your, your background as well, Justin. Um, it's not easy, but, but simply put, it's not, I also don't think it's a secret either and it shouldn't be a secret. Um, it's, it's for us speaking for myself and, and our experience it's systems, people, and not necessarily in that order. Um, if you want to include processes as part of that, but um, yeah, P 
people, systems, systems or people. And then I would, I would probably also add embracing um, like fear, fear and, and not be like, not being scared, man. You know, I, my, my dad was very, he, he was like, he, because of his age, he, there was a lot of opportunities for him, but he, he didn't, there was, he didn't want to take them because he just, I think age had a lot to do with that. So I was a lot, always a lot, I took a lot more calculator risks than most people and, and knock on wood, they've always paid off. So what, what do I mean by risks uh, exactly? Like dive specifically diving into snow and ice management. Now, a lot of companies do that. In our area, there's several, numerous companies, as a matter of fact, that do it, especially the bigger players. They all delve into it. But mid-sized and smaller companies haven't quite figured, maybe figured out, or maybe they're willing to take the risk to dive into that. When I, when I, I don't want to say I figure it out because I'm still learning the that that part of the industry. It's, there's a lot to it. That took, it really, it was like, you're talking about adding fuel to our fire. When I figured out how to like do snow and ice and replicate what the larger players are doing, you're talking about adding incredible amount of revenue at a really high margin to an already fast moving, I don't want to call it a rocket ship, but we were, we were growing like crazy. And so, you know, I know that's more than three things I mentioned there, but that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's yeah, what happens. So to summarize that, yeah, it's like system and process. It's having the right people. And then it's jumping into new markets and, and maybe taking those risks that your competition who are probably still stuck at one or 2 million, just they didn't have the confidence to jump into. Yeah. And, and because snow and ice is such a, it's, it, there's risk, right? You're talking yeah. about. It's Liability, someone falls. Absolutely. Um, very risky business, but can be incredibly lucrative if you do it right and, and truly understand how it's done. So that's it. I mean, and I, I share this with anybody that's asked, dude, where the hell did you guys come from? Or how did you guys do this? Or, you know, what's been yours? And there's no secret. I, I've always shared more than I feel like my local peers do in our community. It's one of the reasons why I love going out into the national scene and talking to guys like yourself and others, people are more willing to talk and share. It's been weird. Like in, in my local community, I don't get that sense. You know, everybody's just a little bit more guarded. They don't like to share yeah. too much. And I, I don't know if that's the same in other communities. Maybe it is, but I like, and I, I've helped out several smaller peers of mine just because I, I believe in that. I believe in sharing and helping others. There's plenty to go around for everybody. You know, I don't have it all figured out, but if I know something that works for me, no problem sharing it with somebody else. There's no secret. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate that so much. Um, mm -hmm. Maggie, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, you've, you've seen Knee Wars growth and, and their company come from Join and Aspire and you did the demos and you probably saw where they were and where he is now. From, from an, uh, a partnership standpoint, Maggie, like what have you seen from the outside that Nassim Landscaping has done that maybe some of the other companies who are still stuck at that one to 2 million haven't, haven't done. And, yeah. you know, how can you contribute to that? Yeah. I think the interesting thing, when I first met Niwar, um, they were small 
uh, they were they were right around that one point two million dollar mark. And I had very honest conversation with them and said, you know, you might be a little bit too small, but also your your growth and your vision isn't. So, a lot of times, people with a think about a spire, they think, okay. My company is too small for it, too small for it. Well, that if you want to stay there, stay at 1.2 million, probably is probably too big of a system for you. But if you want to grow like Niwar and Niwar did, and the conversations we had were all about not where he was today, but where he wanted to be in five, 10 years, I think that's the difference. And the other thing I want to say, and all of his growth, the phrase that I think of, I always think of when I think of Niwar is understanding your opportunity. Because of his background and where he was raised, how he was raised, he's been through more stuff in his life than probably 10 people combined that I, like Justin, you, you yeah. myself, and, and, and eight other people. But, um, and I think because of that, he's had to understand his opportunity at a whole different level and be great, stay grateful through the whole thing, whereas some people can lose focus, get off track, you know, oh, you know, we didn't grow this year. Newar is just always happy to be who, we, where he's at, what he's doing and maintain that positive attitude of understanding his opportunity. I have a follow-up question though, because again, with my job, I get to see a lot of companies grow. And one piece that always seems to be very difficult through growth is maintaining personnel, culture, positive, like you, you yourself can control yourself, but then there's also all these other people that you have to control their attitude and hiring and all of that. So Niwar, what are some things that you guys are doing or have done that have helped maintain your company's culture and provide for your people? I so appreciate the the prior comments and then the question itself. Um, so I've been talking about a lot of exciting success and it has been truly, I'm not under selling any of that. It's been a remarkable run, but it's been a painful run. And I, I don't shy from that. And it, it has not been easy, particularly this past season. I mean, we, you know, growth is fun and exciting, but it's, it's also painful, even if you're profitable. So, you know, you talked a little bit about people and, and that's been the absolute biggest challenge is, is people. And because when the way we've grown is as, as in terms of how rapid it's been, you know, you don't really have the time to, to focus on specific areas like people or, Hey, we got to focus on the, you. So much is happening so fast. You, you're not really, you know, taking the time to really folk hyper-focus in, in, in some areas like you should be. And so, I, I, I mentioned earlier, there's been some symptoms um, to, to the, the growth and with our fast growth, um, we realized, I would say late, early last year, we were having some um, culture type issues. You know, I, as I was growing so fast, I was bring, I had to bring on people that could help sustain that growth and, and, and to help us, you know, continue that momentum so I was bringing on people that had good resumes that were, um, you know, referred to me by trusted local industry type people. But, you know, looking back, they weren't exact, <coughs> excuse me, 
um, they weren't the best fits because those people are no longer with us. And the, excuse me, <clears throat> in the last year, we've had three of our higher level manage, managers um, leave the company. Some of it was by design. Some of it was, was going to happen, but they were able to, you know, um, leave before it was, it was going to happen. And so all good people, just not great fits for the company. At the time, I didn't know this. I, I went by, Hey, they've got the resume. They, 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 they've managed this portfolio before, or they worked at such and such company. So they, they must be a solid fit. You know, I mentioned culture index earlier. We were, we realized through, you know, there's the term growing pains. We were having a ton of growing pains specifically with accountability. And looking back, it was because I had brought on people again with good backgrounds, but not good fits for our company. And so it was causing a lot of culture type issues for our company. We had people that, you know, to be part of a fast growing company, you, know, you, you got to share that. Uh, you got to be with the momentum. You got to be with the program and, and us being where we're at, um, being a smaller, but growing into sort of mid-sized type company, we, we, embrace technology right when we got on Aspire. And I, I, I went, everything that was good, we're talking about, you know, IPS, uh, Weathermatic, anything that was sort of um, technology that was going to benefit the company. I'm like, I'm all about it. Let's do it. It takes a certain type of mindset to to accept that and to truly buy into that. You got to be growth minded. You got to you, you can't be a naysayer. And so I brought on some naysayers through that growth journey in these last two years. Didn't know they were naysayers. Just went off of their resumes. I'm like, these guys have worked right. for companies, so they they got to be good, right? Wrong. Um, they weren't good fits for the company. Good people, bad fits for the company. And yeah. so that's that's where the culture index right now that we're diving into, it's been literally mind-blowing, absolute fascinating for us because it's you're talking about having a chance to know somebody's makeup before you even get into the interview table. You know how they're going to react or how they're wired or these certain traits. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, had I known this early on, I would have been able to maybe not bring that guy on and where would you be if we didn't have this person and again it sounds like i, I have a, uh, a thing against any, anybody that's worked it's and it's not that at all i'm actually super grateful for the people that have come here and that have now left because they they made their mark and we we learn you know you learn from your adversity and all of that so it's just it's it, it's all about bringing on the right people and how do you do that and how do you increase your um, chances of bringing on the right fit so that it fits the culture that you want to bring. We feel like we've hopefully found that solution and in, in some of the tools that we're working on right now. And I, I just I'm we're so excited you guys to 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 move yeah. forward and move the needle. And, and I think you're approaching it in a good way. You're approaching it from a system standpoint with culture index. And, you know, for those who don't know, culture index is basically 
it's not a personality test or IQ test. It's really just a fundamental behavioral test of what you like to do. Like some people like to do recurring tasks and they want to enter invoices all day. Other people want to do something new every day and be on a piece of equipment, doing things with their hands. And, and so if you take someone who's a great operator of an equipment and you put them at a computer for nine hours a day, they're just going to burn out. So they, they stretch, you can stretch so much in a direction that you don't enjoy fundamentally, but at some point you're going to break if you're always stretching. So we use a very similar tool. It's called predictive index. And it's really two products from the same family and it's been a game changer for us. So I, I applaud you guys for bringing on so much new technology in such a short period of time. But, you know, I think this goes back to what you said earlier, which is taking risks. And I talked to a lot of people and they ask, man, how'd you grow? Like, what'd you do? And, and I kind of asked you the same question and, and I loved your answers, but what it comes down to, I think a lot of people don't realize is you have to be willing to take major risks despite fear, despite maybe even being the unpopular guy in the company, because you feel like you're trying to do too much at once and your team's maybe not backing you hundred percent, but you know, it's the right thing for the company. And, and, despite all that, you still have managed to progress and innovate and move forward. And my next question where I'm leading to with this is where does the future, what does the future look like for Nassim landscaping? What is your guys's five-year target, 10-year target? Have you established that? Where do you see your company going? And you know, what can we look forward to as we, as we continue to follow your guys' journey? Yeah. I, I appreciate uh, the sort of breakdown on what culture index. You're spot on. It's, it's exactly what what it, it is. And, and in order to for us to, to get into your question here, um, we, we, the, the people part has to be right. You know, systems and people part has to be right for us to not just sustain the growth, but to have future expansion goals. Which in our case, that's what we want to do. Um, we've opened up a uh, satellite location that we just officially turn into a, a second branch to support our operations just south of us. And so we want to, you know, sort of replicate the uh, branch model. Um, it's appealing. Um, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to the, uh, the, the private equity um, activity that's been in our industry now for, for some time and, 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 and what, what they're after, what they're attracted to. So that's, that's big, you know, being, being in my position in your case, Justin too, you know, we, we naturally pay attention to those things. Um, and just getting to the size that we have, we've been able to garner some, some private equity um, interest, which is incredibly appealing and flattering and all, all the above shows us that we're doing something right. Right. And so that being said, you know, now that we have a second branch in place, systems are getting dialed in. We're starting to kind of bring in some key people. We want to continue that with that momentum. So we want to, there are some key markets in our area and that's sort of Seattle market that we want to get into that um, they're very competitive. They're, you know, all, all of your big name players are here, but there's opportunities and, and, and you can, you can get into these markets. Um, so as long as you've got, you know, the right people in the right systems, it's, it's fair game. You can get in and, and compete. And so over the next five years, I hope to launch another branch. Um, 
really want to solidify these two branches that we have now and become rock solid. And then looking to open up another branch, maybe two, depending on how growth goes. You know, I, I know that we can't double year after year after year. That's not a sustainable uh, model. Um, so I know growth definitely will have to come back down to earth. Um, but the, the, the branch model is, is highly appealing and that's what I intend on doing. I surrounding myself with the right people that embrace that model that are looking for that because of the opportunities that will come with that. And, um, so as far as revenue targets, you know, um, 20, 25 mil over the next five, seven years, I think is definitely doable if not sooner. Um, just you have to make good decisions. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to guys like yourself and what you're doing and, and others around the country. And, and it's, it's doable, right? You just, you, you just got to follow the recipe. There's no, there's no shortcuts. Um, and you just got to believe in yourself. There is absolutely risk-taking and, and I still make risks. There's days I'm like, man, was that overly aggressive? Um, there's been some of those, but that's just part of the journey. And, and you take, you, you take the punches as they come and, and you just keep going. You got, you just got to believe, you know? So yeah, I yeah. uh Justin, it sounds like we got another 30 million by 2030 goal here. <laughs> oh yeah. I think that's that that sounds like it's about right. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Niwar, on opening your second branch. Like that alone, and you skirted over that, I think, a little too fast. And yeah. that is a big accomplishment. Um, not only just because like your company is to a size to sustain that, but just that's a, a, a very tangible way to show you working on the business and not working in the business because sure. you can't be in two places at once. So right. when you have two branches, you're going to have to hire those key people and put systems in place, continue to put systems in place to run two facilities um, without with never being able to be at both places at once. So I think that's something that we shouldn't skirt over at all. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the, you mentioned no shortcuts at the end of the day, I, I totally agree with you. You have to put in the work. And going listening to your story, I've I've got so much, you know, um, so much respect for what you've done and and what your family has done and where you've come from and how you must have had to work so hard and have this discipline as a young child that really I can see it. I can it shows up in you as we talk that that discipline, that hard work ethic, that is I would say at the root cause of you guys' growth. I mean, I always say, so goes the leader, goes the rest of the organization. And the fact that you're able to set such a high bar in terms of working hard and working on the business, I'm sure it, it trickles down into your operation. And it's probably one of the reasons you guys are able to do 10 million with 80 to 100 employees when everyone else is needing 120 plus people to do the same amount of revenue. So that that's something that it's a big takeaway for me. And I hope our listeners that at the end of the day, there is no shortcut. You have to get in, you have to do the work, you have to take risks and going from one to 10 million doesn't just happen. It, it requires hard work and discipline and, and a lot of risks. So well done on that. Uh, Thank you so much. We're, we're getting towards a, the back end of the episode here, but I didn't want to touch on a few things. Maybe we can do like a lightning round on it. First off, you mentioned before we came on air that you joined a peer group. Can you give us just a two-minute summary? Why'd you join? How's it going? And would you recommend it? 
Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge learner. I love to replicate and look at others that have done it, such as guys like yourself, Justin. I think you're younger than me, but still, I mean, I've been following your story for quite a while. Um, and then others around the country that have done it. And, and they all tell you they're doing the same thing. They're, they're asking questions. They're inquisitive. They're, 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 they don't stop learning. And so I'm simply just following that same type of model. I've just got into, as Maggie would know, I, I've been attending some of the, you know, the, the, the conferences now, uh, the Elevate, uh, the, the, to the tech conference and learning landscape. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is my, I gotta, this is where I gotta be. This is where I have to be around these people. And it's, it's just that. And then you start realizing, damn, like there's some super good, smart people here. Um, and, uh, I've been kind of dabbling on, you know, the peer group thing for quite a while, but, and it took me about two years to, to, to finally commit, um, with the Bruce Wilson, um, peer group. Um, and I love the girl group and Marty Grunder and, you know, Vince and all those guys. I've got such so many great peers with them as well. But um, Steve Steele with uh, you know Bruce Wilson, they, he, him and I just kind of developed a relationship, and it just you know it made sense. You kind of and I'm a gut guy. I go with my gut feeling a lot, and I don't think you can go wrong with going with either one. And there's others that are totally. mystery as well. So I went with one that uh, I, I, we're the smaller company out of the four other companies. So that was really awesome. They, they decided to let me in and they interviewed me and realized that I've got, you know, growth mindset and have a lot to offer. And it meant a lot to me and super grateful to be part of that. And simply joined because I wanted to learn from those guys and their operations. And they, and these, some of these guys make me look at myself and my operation. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, even though we've had a remarkable growth and, we're, and I'm proud of us and what we've done, these guys in their opera, I'm like, holy cow, like, dude, I got to get my shit together. Excuse my language, but I, I, we got to get ourselves <laughs> together, right? So it's just, I need that. I need I need to look at constantly raising the bar. And, and so it's just cool to be around others that care as much and they have the same energy. And it just, it raises the bar. Everybody yeah. propels growth and it's, it's a good type of competitive uh, nature. Yeah. I don't know yeah, if I don't no no you did i mean at the end of the day i think peer groups are not so much about who's organizing it more about who's in the group yeah and you really you can't go wrong and and what my big takeaway through the growth is and listening to your story is whatever you do just move the ball forward yeah. raise the bar every day as long as you're making progress even if it might not seem like the right progress and maybe in retrospect it wasn't the right progress as long as you're moving the ball forward every day you're going to be better and you're going to maybe go down the wrong road and figure it out, have to kind of retrack your, your trait, your, your, uh, your path there. But at the end of the day, you still progressed from where you were and it's more about doing something than necessarily yeah. doing the right thing. Absolutely. So yeah. no, that's, that's great. And, and Maggie, you know, as we, as we think about this, what are some of your big takeaways coming from today's episode? Yeah, I think that that what you said is right. Also, if you're going to do something, go go all in with it, right? Commit to it because a lot of the times these peer groups if you just go into it half ass and pardon my language, you're not going to get you're you're going to get half the results out of it. But if you go, you know, in with the full intention and commit to it, you're going to that's where you're really going to see value. Um I know Justin just got back from a peer group trip and 
had a fantastic time. And I wish sometimes as a vendor to landscapers that I could be in some of these peer groups because I just can't, I can't even imagine the conversations and uh, thoughts and ideas that go around with some of these meetings. And also you have people around you to humble you, right? Because if they, they all see things about your business that you're doing wrong and they're not afraid, like they have no reason not to tell you. So I think that all of that is right on key. I'm so glad that you guys are both in peer groups because they're crucial for all of the trades, not just landscaping. Um, landscaping's got some of the best ones, but definitely for all the trades. Niwar, so kind of how we're wrapping up the episode here. And one thing we always ask, I know you are a committed listener to trade talk, so we appreciate that. Um, so, you know, this is coming. We always ask for your trade secret. So can you give our listeners a secret that you've learned through your incredible history growing up, watching your dad, taking over the business? What is something that you have learned just by doing what you've done? Yeah. God, there's so many different angles I can take with this, but I'll just say this. Um, you know, I never forget where I came from. Uh, being 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 a, a kid from a war torn country, running away from one of the worst dictators of humanity, I, I always think about where I came from, and you know, living in America, I it's literally not a single day goes by where I'm like, how freaking lucky am I to be in this country? It like every single day, there's like a moment, whether it's through talking to my wife. My, like interacting with my kid to uh, dealing with a client or an employee to driving on the road. There's always a moment where I think about like, man, why me? How did I get so lucky? And I don't take that lightly. I take that so seriously because I feel like I'm so incredibly lucky. And so I, I turn that into fire and passion and, and, and I just, Maggie, you mentioned earlier, taking advantage of these opportunities and that's what it comes down to for me. There's so many opportunity that, you know, that, that God has given everybody and it doesn't matter what your background is and where you've come from. It, and, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's a shame to let opportunities pass you by no matter what your life circumstances are. Um, there's always a way to be, you know, to be positive and to move forward and to make something out of nothing. You know, I, that, that's it for me. I, I, I'm a reflector. I, 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 I reflect a lot and I, and that's, I always go back to that. And that's what lets my fire lights my fire all the time. And, and, and it's what keeps me going. I, you know, I, it's not that I feel like I'm smarter than anybody else. I'm not. Um, I have a lot of areas that I'd like to get better at and improve on, but you know, I, I, I just, I, I seize the moment and I take advantage of opportunities as they come and, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's great. Remembering where you came from is a important lesson, regardless of your career. You don't have to be a landscape business owner. I, we, you know, we did Justin's episode. We also recorded my episode and it's going to come out here soon. And telling your story is one of the most important and impactful things you can do because it humbles you and yeah. it, it takes you back to ground zero to remember I've done all of this and look where I am at, look where I'm at today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Justin, the theme, I, the theme I heard through that was gratitude and having 
gratitude and being grateful every single day for the good things in your life, even though I'm sure we can all, and our brains kind of automatically do this, we can all look at those negative situations and the challenges and the things we aren't or haven't done right. When you have employee issues and you lose a key player, they leave or you have to terminate them. You can easily go down to like a really negative mindset. But from what I'm hearing and, and a big takeaway from this whole conversation today has been be grateful for where you are, because if you look back 10 years, all of us in, in life, I think, have grown so much and have progressed so much and have, have given a lot to the industry, to our families, to our employees, to our community. So it's really important that we just live in that state of gratitude as much as possible. No matter what's going on in life, it could always be worse. And if you're grateful, it's really hard to be stressed and grateful at the exact same moment. I don't even know if it's possible. So the more grateful you can be, I mean, the less stressed you'll uh, you'll end up being at the end of the day. And and I think that's my takeaway. Appreciate the well the wisdom and, and the experience share there. Absolutely. Well said. Well, congratulations wow. on your growth. I'm excited to circle back in a few years and, and yeah. see you guys at 20 million. I mean, I, I think yeah. you guys are just a few years away from that. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think, man. I, again, I, I remember thinking when I read that book by Ed LaFlam that, that 1 million was like the number <laughs> and, uh, it's crazy, you know, like, and honestly, the numbers, it's not the motivating factors for me. It's they, they come as the journey goes. It's for me, man, you know, seeing people being able to get their first mortgage, um, buy their first car, um, that that's it. That's it for me, man. That, you know, being able to, I, I took my kid on a trip for the first time on an airplane yeah. and thank you for allowing yeah. me to get like you guys like that goosebumps. And, and that's, that, that is it for me. I, you know, we have an incredible modern fleet. We, you know, we're, we, so many cool things that you can get excited. I used to be like into that, right? Don't care. Like the yeah. flashy stuff. It's awesome got to have it because you got to use it to, to do the work. But what gets me is just that. It's, it's just that the differences yeah. that you can make in people's lives. It's the ultimate gratitude, um, yeah. satisfaction. Well, my life has gotten better since knowing you, Newar, <laughs> and Justin. So um, thank awesome. you so much for your time today. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this episode um, because your story is so important. And yeah, thank you so much. I'm incredibly thankful for the both of you for doing what you do and, you know, putting out the great content that you do and for just being such good stewards of our, of our, you know, industry. And I, you know, continue to hope to, to stay connected and, and, you know, grow our friendships as, as time goes on. Yes, awesome. for sure. It's great. Good to know you even more today. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks you guys. I appreciate your time. Bye.